on the um, shell casing, what's really pretty interesting is the uh, the uh, firing pin impression. Yeah. Which is also another identifier, right? Yes. And there's round firing pins, is like hexagonal or something like that, right? Yeah, elliptical is a is a Glock, you know, like a lot of times a Glock has has a, yeah, yeah. So the shape of the firing pin, uh, sometimes even the depth uh, that that it strikes the primer, uh, you know, uh, basically the orientation, you know, is it is it is it dead centered on this thing? Is it consistently a little bit off? The uh, so yeah, I have a, I have a case now where. You know that shot spotter program? Yes. Right. So there's a case. There was, this was one of those. You know, you, you open up the shot spotter thing and you listen to it. It's like pow, pow, pow. So, so we'll talk about class characteristics, right? Here's the value of class characteristics. A Glock has different rifling than most other firearms. I think it's called polygonal rifling, right? So a lot of rifling is cut into the metal, uh, whereas the Glock, like basically they put, they put the rifling, uh, it's like on a rod and, 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 and hammers hit the barrel and they put the, you know, the impressions on. This isn't, you know, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a firearms examiner or anything like that. This is just so, through some training that I had uh, in, in this discipline. So the Glock, the rifling for a Glock is like a lot more faint. Remember, I don't know if you remember when the Glock first came out, they were saying you can't match the bullets. You can match the yeah, I Yeah, I had heard that. And I yeah, heard that. that's yeah. why the police department wanted to go away from it because yes. they wouldn't yeah. be able to identify the ballistics of the police shooting. Right, which really wasn't really true, uh, but it, it was much, you, you can do it, but it's much more, it's uh, quite often more difficult, right? Especially, uh, when you have consecutively manufactured guns, so like every time you every time you 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 put uh, you know the tool that you use to transfer rifling to the barrel of the the brand new barrel of the gun, even that tool gets a little bit of wear, microscopic changes in it, right? So now when I go to use the next barrel, it's different, and then I use the next barrel, it's different, it's different, right? So, but from the, this barrel to the next one that's manufactured, it's not as different from this barrel to say a hundred barrels later. They're gonna have a lot more significant differences, but they can even match consecutively manufactured barrels uh, using polygon that, that have polygonal rifling. So a good firearms examiner can do all this stuff. You know, So, so I had a case where the firearms examiner reports that, they were, that the, the bullet jacket stripped off when it went through the windshield of this car and, and it has uh it was fired from a barrel with polygonal rifling and then there was some cartridge cases only three and they 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 had elliptical firing pin impressions which is also a class characteristic for a glock so yeah. now out of all the other firearms evidence recovered at this scene uh dozens of pieces there was there were only uh certain ones that had Character, class characteristics from a Glock. So I was able to isolate the Glock to this one portion of this whole block where all these shots were fired. So that's where your class characteristics come in really handy, you know? So, it's, oh. you know, so if the Glock was all, all the way on the other end of the block and you got the polygonal rifling, it was in a car too. And what, what, what's a car? A car is an unfixed target, you know? A yeah. car can move, right? So did the car move down the scene? But 
so class characteristics are really helpful like that. Um, one, one of the things we can tell uh, that, that help us to get directionality when we're dealing with sheet metal, like so bullets striking a car, very common, right? Very big part of your crime scenes. So the bullet's gonna strike your, your painted sheet metal and it's gonna maybe pinch a little piece of paint in between the bullet and the sheet metal. So that paint won't get stripped off, but then the rest of the whole ricochet mark, the paint's gonna get stripped off. And then the paint out here at the margins gets these fractures in it, right? So, and you can see the fractures. If we know that the bullet struck one end of this ricochet crease, these fractures are pointing backwards back towards where the bullet initially struck, mm -hmm. right? And I always liken them to the wake of a boat, right? So you can see in this, in this mark right here, you can see there's a little bit of paint pinched right here, uh -huh. right? And then the rest of the paint stripped off. And then we have these fracture lines that are all pointing back towards where the bullet initially struck the surface, right? right? Here we have paint pinched, we have fracture lines. Right. So these these are three different ways you can uh, you can tell uh, which way the bullet was traveling. We have this paint pinch where it initially struck. You have these fracture lines that look like the wake of a boat. See how a boat moving? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I could. Yeah, see. It creates a wake like that. Right. So I don't know uh, if you if you weren't explaining it to me, I don't know if I could be able to spot this on a scene. Uh, I think it takes a more trained eye than. Uh, I'll tell you, you will. You you know right away. You know right away. Uh, this is the this is the underside of a painted surface. Although you know something, John. Since I retired nine years ago, I haven't been to a single crime scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not getting called in the middle of the night. Hey, Sarge, come to yeah. this crime scene. You know. Oh, I know what you mean, man. <laughs> Let me. Uh... Okay. <clears throat> so so. One of the ways we can tell where the bullet strikes the sheet metal is where it pinches the paint, right? Another way we can tell is by the paint fracture lines, which way they're, which direction they're pointing in. Another way we can tell which direction the bullet was going is by the profile of the crease. So the bullet's gonna leave like a defect, a crease in the surface that it strikes, right? Depending on the surface, if, if, it, if it's a yielding, surface or a frangible surface right so <clears throat> when when a bullet strikes a surface like that wonderboard i was talking about very crumbly stuff so the bullet strikes it as soon as it strikes it it goes down and then it starts working its way back up right so the part so now you have let's say we have a, a two inch defect in something that we believe is from a bullet Right, and it's a frangible substrate like that, uh, like that uh, wonderboard is. Right, so if we look at, and all we have is this, you know, two-inch defect, and we're like, well, I wonder which way it was going. One end of that defect is going to be deeper than the other end, and the deeper end is where the bullet first struck. So it strikes, it displaces a lot of that uh, that substrate. And then it sort of builds a ramp and, and works its way out, right? So the deeper end on a frangible substrate like that is going to be where your point of impact occurred. That's your entry side. 
it's the it's the opposite, right? See, here's a frangible material. See, it goes in, it kicks all that stuff out, and starts working its way out. The deeper side of the defect is where the bullet initially struck, right? So it's the opposite with sheet metal. So think about it. The bullet strikes the sheet metal as it's traveling. The metal stretches, you know, and, and uh, then it works its way out of the out of the crease. So I'll show you. Uh, so so the deeper side of something that stretches like uh, sheet metal, the deeper side is going to be your exit side. Right. And I'll show you a picture of that. So if you look at, if you look at this crease right here. This is from a bullet being fired. This is why I fired this into a, this was a hood that was actually a, an aluminum hood. So if we're looking at this, we've got three indicators right here that tell us which way this bullet was going. We have our, our wake lines here, right? Our lines going back towards the point of, of impact. We have our paint that was pinched right here, right? See how there's paint missing all the way, oops, all the way down the whole crease, except uh -huh. for this point right here, right? And as the bullet's traveling, it goes so deep that it actually fractures the metal and then it exits, right? So the deeper portion is going to be our exit side. So we have three things here telling us the paint. This is where the bullet struck. The depth. This is where the bullet exited. The paint lines. That's okay. the direction it was traveling. You know, you might not have all three of those things, but sometimes you'll just have one. And then you can make your call. You can make a call on it. Well, even it with um, when a bullet strikes a body, the entrance wound uh, is highly different than the exit wound. The entrance wound is usually uh, a nice little neat round hole, whereas the exit wound is usually has a tremendous amount of trauma to it and causes like you know almost like an avulsion as it as it exits the body. Not all the time, but sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Not all. Uh, yeah, but so exactly what you're saying, Bill. Uh, you might not have it all the time, but when you do have it, this could be your indicator. You know. Right. Um, yeah. Another thing that causes the exit to be larger is the bullet deforming and tumbling. Right. right? And right. that'll make uh, make you a bigger hole. You know. Um, so sometimes, like if you come to a crime scene and you see a crease in something. Like if I'm looking at this right here, I, I'm going to tell you, you know, oh, which way is the bullet going? I'm going to say, you know what? I can't tell. I don't have any of the characteristics that would give me that information. You know, I think three of the biggest, three of the most important words for learning and for having credibility sometimes, even though, you know, for us talking to our bosses, it would kill our credibility. But yeah. <laughs> in front of a jury, I think three words that'll help you learn too. Because if you're Poindexter, you know, Mr. Peabody, remember that guy? He knew everything. Yeah, right? Right. We're not Mr. Peabody. So the th for me, they're very liberating words. I don't know. Hey, hey, John, which way is this bullet going? You know what? I don't know. I don't have any of the things I need uh, to tell me. You know, if this looks, if there was only one shot fired and the cartridge case is all the way over on this side and there's a bullet hole in the wall over there, guess what? The bullet was going that way, right? And you could tell me that. Anybody can right, tell right, me. Right. If, I, if you want me to look at this mark and give you a directionality, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know. You know, I, I think a lot of this stuff, um, cops should, should really learn this. Uh, maybe they can't, this would be too much to give them in the academy, but certainly 
uh, ongoing training and in-service training, you should keep learning forensic science because I learned a lot of this stuff late in my career. You know, and all, a lot of it, too, I learned from when I was teaching at a college because I had to learn some of this stuff that, you know, I didn't concern myself with because yeah. the NYPD has a crime scene unit, uh, you know, one of the best in the world and ballistics experts. And I didn't need to know all this shit, or so I thought. But as you said, you know, as that old adage, uh, knowledge is power. And it's so true. When you can read this stuff yourself and see some of this stuff yourself, you don't need to ask someone. And you can make, you know, not just assumptions, because you know what an assumption does, right? But you can make an educated guess, a hypothesis of what happened. And that's when you work with detectives, that's three quarters of their job is I used to have this detective named uh, Joe the lip and he was always hypothesizing and theorizing. And I used to always say, Joe, stop hypothesizing and theorizing and start typerizing your reports. You know? <laughs> but that's how detectives come to, you know, understand what may have happened by creating scenarios of what they think may have happened yeah you know that's what i that's what i really miss uh working by myself you know is having someone like but a lot of times i'll work on a case where where they've hired an investigator who's a retired you know mos from somewhere and and uh and and they're, they're in the same boat a lot of times i have this case in florida i got a, this guy retired like in the in the you know i think he came on in like the 70s and and you know he was an old timer and he was a great detective in uh in new york and we were just talking and, and he goes you know he goes i i miss this i miss having somebody to bounce these ideas off of because it really hel it helps a lot that's you know? so important that is so so important yeah, you yeah know, exactly to bounce things off of each other and you know that was the thing uh being a boss in the squad um i always trusted my detectives till, till i didn't <laughs> no, i <laughs> I always trusted their opinions because they were the investigators, you know, right. They were talking to people. They were interviewing, they were interrogating. Let's sit down. Let's talk about this. What do you think? You know? Yeah. And sometimes none of us knew. And then we have to go back and redo things. We yeah. look at it in a fresh perspective. Let's come back tomorrow morning. We'll start fresh, you know? Right. But uh, yeah, it, cause it's, 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 it's a science, you know, they talk about, uh, being an investigator is uh, is an art and a science, and it's so true. Oh, it the is. Science, of course, is some of the things you do: forensic science, ballistics, you know, the science of uh, gunshot wound, blood spatter, all of that stuff. And the art of being a detective is to go out and talk to people. You know, yes. interview, yes. interrogation. You know, schmooze. That that Yiddish word, schmooze. Schmooze. Yeah, yeah. Right. Use people so they'll talk to you, and there's so much truth behind that. Yeah, you, know, you talk to a detective in Harlem, or you talk to a detective in Brooklyn, you talk to a detective in Queens, and the successful ones all have an ability to be liked by the people that they work for. Yeah, because no one gives information to someone they don't like. Right. You know? So that's where that Yiddish word comes from: schmoozing. Right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. I love it. Uh, you know, I, I was never good at that. You know, that's why I ended up in this niche where I'm at, which is perfect for me because, uh, 
You know, I wasn't I wasn't good at interviewing people. You know, I, if, if I want if I had to, I would never be a good I would never be a bad cop. You know, because I was, you know that also takes a, a whole lot of patience in itself. Yes, like yeah. you have patience in this area, right? To look at the scientific, uh, the science behind uh, you know ballistics and forensics and that stuff, and a detective has the patience in you know talking to people. Yeah, getting information like being more of a people person. You know. Right. That's why crime scene was perfect because they're all dead people, you know. So it's yeah. like I don't have to talk to these. You don't people. have to talk to them, you know. <laughs> that and 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 following somebody, surveillance. Bro, I was horrible at that. Horrible. I, yeah. I always lose them. Always. Or I get made. I get made or I lose them. So. I was pretty good at that because I worked in anti-crime for six and a half years. So okay. I, yeah. Yeah. Pretty pretty good at that, you know. And I worked in neighborhoods where you could blend in. Well, I was actually better in uniform and sneaking up on people than I was anywhere else, you know, because I, I, I could play, you know, I could play a role like I'm writing a ticket or I'm doing something and I already know who, who's the pitcher, who's got the money and, you know, right, right. You know make my collars. Like housing, we made collars like crazy before the merge. Like it was, you know, no big deal. But uh, yeah, so that kind of thing. But but as far as following somebody with a car or following somebody on foot, I wasn't too good at that. Narcotics, you had to do it, you know, when I was ghosting somebody, I'd be following uh, the undercover. Uh, you know, it was my favorite uh, tool was was a dog. I had a dog. I used to bring my dog to work. Because think about it, if you're walking a dog, right, because what, what's the what's the, the, the dealer going to do? He's going to walk the undercover this way, and then maybe walk him back this way. Right. Who's well, following? Stay away from that dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But if I have a dog, I got a right to go back and forth because I'm walking my dog, right? That's right. That's right. Not like me just out there, you know, with with the with the beer in the paper bag, you know, right, playing, right. playing playing that role. Yeah, that role. yeah. So, uh, yeah, good stuff, man. But yeah, so the three three of the best words are "I don't know," you know, "I don't know." Hey, what if you, you don't got? know, you can't make it. You can't bullshit someone that's a professional. Right. And, and you know, you know how that goes too, right? Like you say something. Uh, you say something to some bosses. Hey, yeah, John, what do you got here? Uh, oh, yeah, Perp was standing over here, right? And you're not if you're not sure about it, next thing you know, you see it on the six o'clock news. All right, so according to you know, Perp seeing the perpetrator standing, like yeah. you're like, oh fuck, what did I just do, man? You know. Well, you I got, used to write those. Um, first, they were called bullets, and then they were called the preliminary investigative worksheet, and it became yes, like yeah, a damn. Yeah term paper that you had to write at work, you know, <laughs> right. and you would see exactly your um, details as to what occurred and recreated in the newspaper. Right. Because DCPI gave exactly what you wrote to the newspaper or you hear it come out of the police commission as well. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly what you wrote, you know, that's even worse. Yeah. Well, you just hope that you were accurate enough that he wasn't, saying something that was, you know, right. you read in writing later on, you know. Right. But, yeah, like you said, so, sometimes, you know, this is what it appears like initially, and then the investigation can flip that over. And it's like, oh, that, it's not what we thought at all, you know. I used to, you know, when I would call the chief of detective's office and have a homicide, and uh, you'd be working all night, and then I'd call the chief of D's office at, like, before 6 in the morning they wanted it. And uh, the detective would say, what do you got, Sergeant? I'd say, you got nothing right now. He goes, oh, the chief's not going to like that. And I would say, I don't really give a fuck what he likes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is what it is. What am I going to make up shit? 
happy shit so he can be like, right. smile as he's having his cup of coffee. We got nothing. We got balls across the chin right now. We got a suspect name to be named later. We got nothing. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's not going to like that. I know, right? He's not going to like that. I don't know what the fuck to tell him there. Right. Sorry to hear that. You know? She's not going to like that. Oh, my God. Yep. <laughs> so-